Welcome to the Book Hub, an online event space hosted by Luther Seminary. Hello and welcome to the December edition of our Book Hub event for Faith Lead. Today we are talking about how do we relate now? Kindness, mental health, and relationships in the midst of the holidays. Now I'm going to introduce Bruce Raised Chow. He is a Presbyterian pastor, consultant, and author. His most recent book is In Defense of Kindness, How It Changes Our Lives and How It Can Save the World. Bruce, will you share with us a moment of connection for yourself recently and why you wrote this book? Sure. Um... Thanks all. For, uh, thank you for hanging out. I preemptively sent a picture to the chat. You can click on that. That's not spam. Uh, and it's the view just to the left of my computer screen. And it has, you'll see, it's a picture of my family on a trip we did, uh, uh, I guess now a couple of years ago to um, the World Cup, the Women's World Cup. And there's a plant. And in the background, you can see a record player with a Whitney Houston album on it. Um, and and so there's a few things that, that connect me Um I tend to be a fairly extroverted person. And I think one of the revelatory things that has happened over pandemic is that I'm actually not as much as I thought I was and have really embraced uh, the intimacy of self uh, over the last 18 months. And I've you know, uh, stumbled into things. I've discovered I love plants. I do not like gardening. Like I don't go outside and garden, but I love houseplants. I just, so now if you were to look, they're like all over. My family is like, what's going on? Um, but I've just found that this is really a, a quite a, a lovely thing for me to watch and do. Uh, and so it's interesting. My, um, I have lots of great collegial communities that we've kind of moved through this time together. And those have been wonderful as we've experienced ups and downs of everything. But I've really found that for me, creating space that is uh, calming to my soul has been really important for me. We've been, we've spent so much time in, you know, sitting here, um, kind of what my space looks like, what I see, what gets projected, you know, I think has been a way that I've, um, I've tried to find some positive calm in the midst of everything that's going on. So uh, sometimes it gets a little chaotic right around the space that you don't get to see, but uh, for the most part, try to keep space that, um, that settles my soul. Um, so in defense of kindness, um, I don't know if you all know, but the world is not very kind right now. I don't know if you've seen that anywhere, maybe. Uh, and I tend to not be a, a naturally kind person. And, uh, you know, I, I, I certainly want to be perceived as that. And if you were to ask people, they might even say that I was, but that's not my actual, my inclination. I'm, I'm pretty snotty and sassy and snide uh, in offline. I've learned to be offline that way. Um, and so it's been a challenge for me. Uh, it was, I started the book and then I put it back down and then elections happened uh, 2018, I was sitting in a movie theater watching the Mr. Rogers documentary. And, um, I, you know, I don't have a lot of the spirit spoke to me moments, but that was one. And I felt like Mr. Rogers is basically a pain in the butt and is saying, either you're going to embrace the depth of kindness or you're not. And I actually turned to my wife in the movie theater and said, I think I got to pick up the book again. And the next day, uh, Sarah and our publisher, uh, Brad Lyons emailed me and said, are you ready to pick this book up again? Really weird. Uh, and the I wrote it because I feel like we've dismissed kindness as a liberating virtue. 
and we've lowered the bar for what it means to be kind. And so I, the book is written right in that middle space. It's not an outwardly religious book. We are targeting non-religious communities, but you'll hear it throughout. And it really is a, there's elements that are very much about activism and what does it mean to be kind? Um, I try to debunk nice being nice versus being kind and how we move through the world being kind to others and to ourselves and basically the excruciating nature of what it takes to be kind today. So uh, that's what I, and it's a bold statement to say it can change the world, but if you're gonna write something, why not be bold? What are crucial things to keep in mind in our personal relationships during a stressful time related to kindness? My family always laughs a little bit when I get to talk about things uh, about personal relationships because they can always be like, uh-huh, sure, right? I mean, because, you know, the hardest people, I, I actually write a chapter in the book that the hardest people it is to be kind to are, is often the people who are closest to you. And that sometimes our, we, we, we have a vulnerability and, a, and a, an almost kind of an intimacy that we can just be the worst of who we are with those who are even closest to us. And I, I think that that sometimes uh, is, is a is one of those mo those times where the, those relationships are so open, but also I think we don't tend to them as well. We don't pay attention to them as much. And so we get this bifurcation of, uh, you know, how we are outside versus how we are internally, intimately. And so one of the things that I, I really just try to be consistent, I, I really hope for consistency in my relationships uh, throughout my entire life. And that means two things for me. Uh, one is kindness is extended to another person. And, the, and how I define kindness, which I think is really important, uh, is uh, that we acknowledge that the other is created and complex, and then we we treat them and we act as if we believe that to be true. So it's there is a, an element of recognizing humanity even in our worst enemies and those closest to us. So for me, it's be, it, it's it's doing that and not one-dimensionalizing or trying you know trying to uh, you know kind of see everybody as an as a complex human being. And the flip side is seeing ourselves in the same way. And so I think one of the dangers that we have is you just need to be nice. You just need to get along is that that puts us in situations where sometimes we then are hurt emotionally, physically, spiritually. And, and I don't think that, that for me, kindness and, and healing happen when we put ourselves in places of trauma or abuse or being taken advantage of. So holding those two things in tension is a discipline and asking that question. We're not called to be martyrs in every conversation. I just feel like that that is a, um, a dangerous and unhealthy way to, to, to be in spaces. And so sometimes we're called to walk away, even if for a moment, because it's the kindest thing to do to our own souls and the other. Uh, I'm fortunate in my family extended, we don't have a lot of debate around politics and those kind of things. We've, we are fairly in agreement, but there are times when even in our interpersonal relationships in our household, I just got to take a breath and step away. And, and, you know, we know we're coming back, but it, it, the kindest thing is to sometimes move away from a relationship and not just always feel like you got to fix it uh, every single time. So those are the kind of the, the ways that I move through, through the world. Let's talk about a different kind of relationship, the relationships between the church leaders themselves and members of the congregation. This is very different from friends and family. How, um, how do concerns about mental health play out in this scenario? And how do we practice kindness, especially at peak stress time for many people uh, right now? 
so I'm pastoring a congregation here in Palo Alto, California. I'm, um, I'm a strange situation. I'm a part-time head of staff and, uh, it, you know, like everyone has had to move through pandemic and, um, so, so some of, I think everything, the kindness for me is just also acknowledging context that every space, every community, like this is not a different dance than we've always done as pastors, but I think it, the, the revelatory nature of, of congregational life these days has been just uh, magnified because of the pandemic. And so all of the things that maybe bothered us a little bit have become magnified, um, I think at a certain point, grace was magnified. Uh, you know, I think it has waned and gone through ebbs and flows. But I think at the beginning, we heard a lot of stories about congregations and communities that were, you know, you didn't choose to move into the space, but gosh, everybody was feeling collectively very gracious towards one another. And then we begin, I think, for congregations that have some privilege and some resources, we begin to think that we can simply manage our way through all of this. And I think that's where some of the things sneak back in, where we then kind of poke on these kindness pieces and how do we acknowledge complexity and other complexity in ourselves and, and all those. So um, I actually am one that um, has always modeled that uh, I'm not that different of a person depending on where you are uh, and how you see me and how you bump into me. So I, you know, I, I think I was raised by a generation of, of pastors that there was the pastor version and then there was the rest of normal life version. Now that doesn't mean that the church sees everything about me. Like that's, I could, we don't, uh, I think when folks hear that sometimes like, well, you share everything with the church. I'm like, no, but I, there is a consistency for me because I think it's exhausting to try to have two kind of personalities and spaces. Now I've been in churches that that's what they've wanted and that's what I've done. And so, you know, I, I realize that's not the same in every context, but that for me, the more I can kind of keep those consistent, the, the more whole I feel. And so I think if, if you can find spaces where you're feeling whole, that's, that's what we're trying to get to, I think, in our pastoral leadership, because I think there's all kinds of things that are going to right now remind us about the struggles of pastoral leadership. And we're having to force ourselves into those places that remind us why we're doing this. Um, and I'm seeing in the chat, right? Visiting people, past all these things that remind us why we are doing this work. Because the other stuff, as we know, you know, the five, 10, 15% of, of, of naysayers or struggle, those have become, I think, really magnified right now, just like many places. And so figuring out how to navigate those. The, the other thing I would say is um, I just don't believe any of us are acting in our best selves right now. I just feel like we're all struggling. And if we can find a place where we can acknowledge that as church, I think we all move forward a little bit better. I think we all, I think there are church, you know, congregations that expect their pastors now to be superhuman. And, you know, my congregation, the church I'm serving has been great. I had a death due to COVID. I had COVID when it was out for two months and hospitalized. There's all kind, and they've been wonderful, uh, even in my recovery. Um, but I know there are some places like, forget that you, you are, you know, whether you're a pastor, your church leader, whatever you are, have these other lives, just a whole other part of your life. And I encourage folks, if you're a congregation member, happens to be here, is just remembering the fullness of what your pastors and your church leadership are experiencing at the same time. And for us pastor, church leader types, um, to, to let ourselves acknowledge how difficult this has been. I have gone back to my session, my governing body, and I've apologized not for 
um, maybe not reacting well, but just apologizing for not naming that I'm not doing as well as I'd like to pretend that I'm doing too. And being able to have a safe vulnerability so you can model that so that you can call people into that same space. I think that uh, if we can't develop those kind of intimate relationships now uh, that will help us be healthy in the future, you know, I, I don't know when we're going to do it because the, 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 the destructive parts of congregational life right now, I think, have such an opportunity to be fed and fueled that we have to be even more cautious um, about how we feed into those or force or kind of push against them. So um, that's a lot of different things. Um, you know, I, I just I do want to say that for those of you all who are leading churches, um, this is an exhausting time. And I think if you're feeling that, um, you are not alone. I mean, I think those of us that like to pretend we have everything together, um, you know, none of us really does. I mean, I think uh, we are all kind of grasping at times. And I remind myself all the time to be gentle with my own soul. Um, and I think that's a, a thing. Actually, I think I have it right there. If I, yeah, it does. But to be gentle with yourself. So um, I just encourage you to do that in whatever ways you, you need to. So there you go. Talk to us about promoting mental health and kindness in online spaces, churchy spaces, personal spaces, public spaces. I, I generally don't get into conference. So I, and I have, I've been doing kind of online community and worship and things for over a decade. So uh, I love the space. Um, I don't worship it. And I don't think it, I don't give it more power than it deserves. And I think that's always a difficulty, uh, especially during pandemic, right? I mean, I think technology kind of took over and trying to figure out how everybody connects and what does it mean, how to do it well. Most leadership don't, don't have social media technology muscles that they have had to exercise or need to and have been forced into it. And I think that's been really difficult, um, though also has been, um, I think, liberating in, in some ways for some folks. Um, here's my, my general thing is, um, Everybody needs a place to vent. Don't do it online. <laughs> I, I mean, that's one of mine is like, I, I, I just don't do that. The other, the other piece is I, I firmly believe, like I've had deep interactions and made deep friendships with people that I've never met in person or I've only met occasionally. And so, uh, and that has happened in a variety of spaces way back when MySpace existed. If any of you can log into your MySpace account, um, you should do it. It's fascinating to see what you might have been thinking about or doing the last time you logged into your MySpace account. Um, but, you know, the roots of that were like the fringe communities, right? The roots of MySpace were around people who were either excluded because of politics, theology, culture, physical ability, whatever. And those are like, they came together and found deep and meaningful relationships. You know, we've monetized it. It's kind of created, it's in a different world now, but in some ways, I think we have to work even harder to find those spaces. And so I think it behooves many of us who are in that space with a little more visibility to model that as best we can. And so for me, I'm always, I always know people are watching, you know, lurking is not a bad thing, right? That's just a reality. People are always watching how I'll react or how I engage, both in challenging, but also just stepping away and not engaging. I mean, I think, um, especially those of us coming out of a progressive space, you know, we've been told somehow, some way that if you don't say something, 
you are uh, you, you're you're letting it go and you're agreeing with it. Well, that's just not possible anymore in the day and age of social media. When it was just in person and somebody said something on a Sunday morning, sure, call somebody out and don't let them. Be. But we can't all be social media police all the time. I get, it is impossible. And I think I have a lot of friends, Sarah and I have a lot of common friends that I don't think realize that, like feel like they have to respond to every single thing. I'm not going to let this untruth stand. And I'm like, well, I think that's not my responsibility. So I think finding the same kind of boundaries of self, of energy and time that we do in our in-person life, as well as our vir our virtual world. So I think part of it is, I just, I think when we're talking about online relationships, I, I just don't give them any more or less power and prestige than I do in my in-person ones. I, I kind of, these are both relationships I have and I navigate them in the exact same way and try to acknowledge the complex person on the other side, engage when they're interested, step away when it's clearly not gonna be helpful uh, and continue to kind of engage in, in both spaces in the most healthy way I can. So one of the filters I've always had when I'm online is, am I, would I be willing to have my children read it out loud? And because I actually think if if that was a lens for many people in the world, we would, well, one, we maybe some people are okay with their kids reading some of their stuff out loud, which is another issue. But I think a lot of us would be like, oh, yeah, maybe I don't want my five-year-old reading that out loud. Because people have noticed that I'm swearing a little bit more in my tweets or in my other things, or at least being a little more salty than I've been in the past. And I'm like, well, because now my kids are all adults, right? And now we're at a different level of interacting and they're pushing on me on some of my stuff like it's a and so we're we're going with the ebb and flow and seasons of life that like it's not just a static way of being just like in person is not just a static way of being we're growing into who god is intending us to become and i think that's in both both spaces so there you go engage these conversations with people in our congregations where where are the moments where are the spaces where you do that other than modeling as a leader, which you're always doing. Um, but where could you actually teach or coach about um, taking care of each other's mental health and practicing kindness? We choose what content gets shared during worship. And, and sometimes our choices of what we don't share uh, exhibit kind of our uh, sense of privilege or our places of um, avoidance. And I think that the, if we can do anything, uh, I, I would agree with Sarah. And, you know, every Sunday in Advent has to talk about how this is a terrible time for some people. Like this, this is a moment, like the beginning, just to remind people that not everybody is joyful as the world wants us to be. And and most people are shaking their heads, yes, right. I mean, I I should think most people just naming those things out loud. Um, uh, it just is a healing moment in itself. So I would, I mean, I echo everything that that um, Sarah said is to figure out how we do that in a way that honors, right? We, we also we also worry, I think some pastors, we were trained not to bleed all over our own congregation, right? Not to use our congregation as our therapist. And so we we retreat to the very opposite where we don't want to have any vulnerability. And I I think figuring out that right sweet spot of how much you share about yourself so that others, it gives other people permission to be able to do that, um, you know, and so if I say from the pulpit, you know, I'm not, I, I, I had a meeting and I was 
I was awful to myself and to other, and I need to figure out what's going on in my world. Is it this or that? I mean, to figure out how we can model that by naming it in worship, I think it is, is really, really important. I, so again, I think we're saying the same thing. Uh, we have an opportunity, um, gathered people who tr hopefully trust us uh, to uh, be their spiritual leaders and encourage folks to kind of continue to grow into who God hopes them to become. And so that vow that, that Sarah, you wrote, read earlier, like, you know, how does that, what does that mean in this commitment we make to community as well, right? How, how do we believe about ourselves and the people who are sitting in our pews or chairs, I think is, um, you know, that's, we're not all going to make it through all of our calls, but in those moments where we can feel that, that's when we're like, yes, this is when the spirit has said, this is where I should be. And so um, I would say during for you pastor leadership type, embrace those moments for yourself as well during this time. Like, in, like let yourself be drawn into the beauty that God creates in those spaces and that you've been part of. I think that also just keeps us remembering that we're loved and not perfect, but continually um, loved by God in the middle of this time. That's really hard for all of us. One of the advantages to a book about mental health or a book about kindness is that it does not just have to be an inside the church conversation, right? These are public conversations. And in fact, leading them is a public service. I mean, it's not quite evangelism, but it's like, look, somebody cares. So that is, that is reaching out. Um, I wonder if you have any ideas for how to have this conversation in the public sphere. Where are the spaces and opportunities you could see your book or the conversations you lead happening in public? Mine is the first book that Chalice has done that was specifically not religious and not like we had to strip away all the religious language. It was fascinating for me because I think I'm a pretty, uh, that my writing is pretty accessible to non-religious people, but the first edit three was like, look at all this religious language you have. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. It's not bad, but I'm like, oh, I thought I was better than that. Um, so I think, so I've had a high school, you know, some classes read. We're trying to get into first year reads for college. So if any of you have that connection, feel free to hit me up. And so I think that there's part of it is, is I think folk, there's, there is an industrial complex on kindness right now that is out there that sometimes I'm a little suspicious of, but also I think folks are just yearning for another way to be and so to kind of put that into space so i've most of the most of the book groups that i've been at um have have been religious have been churches but a few of them have just been book groups of people of librarians of others um i'm one little plug if you buy 10 copies i'll come in and do an hour zoom like that's i just and i love doing that and so um that has been in these library book groups uh, where it's been picked up and uh, that has been an excellent thing because it's pushed me reminding myself how churchy I am, uh, even though I thought I wasn't, uh, to kind of have this conversation and force it into other spaces that doesn't deny my spirituality, but it does like, okay, so how do we talk about this in a whole different context? So um, I think that's, there's, you know, book groups and those kind of things are, are where, where that's happening for me. 